Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 89 of the Galen Trombley Show. Uh, today I have Alex Ladstatter with me, and Alex is, I guess formally we just talked about this, is a reporter at Local 22 in 44 News, um, a student at Plattsburgh State, and I, so how I get guests on the show is typically it's somebody that I have interest in or I want to talk to or for whatever reason, like again, if I want you on the podcast, it's somebody that's got to be of interest I want to sit down and talk to. Certain podcast people, I've, I've I've said I've had my best friends from high school or from as a kid on, so I've known them for 20 plus years, and then I have people that I've never formally met in real life, and you'll be in that latter category, um, but I've seen you on social media, I started following you, we just were kind of talking off air, like what, what we were doing or how we kind of knew, knew of each other, and I mean, basically, I just see you doing a lot of stuff, you're active, you're you know, a young kid kind of getting after it in a field that you seem like you have a lot of passion for, which it interests me, fires me up. And those are the kind of people that I like to talk to. So, um, Alex, for people that do not know who you are, give us a little background, introduce yourself, and then uh, we'll just get rolling. Go ahead. All right. Yeah. So I am from Syracuse, New York. Originally, I came to SUNY Plattsburgh uh, up here for broadcast journalism. I knew that I always wanted to really do something in that field. Uh, and they seem to have a really good program that fit what I was looking for. Um, and then I, about three years ago, so yeah, the same time I came in as a freshman, um, also was able to get an internship with Local 22 and 44 News, which is um, right across the lake in Vermont, and started as an intern there, uh, which really kind of like kickstarted my on-air career up here, which has been really great. So, and we were saying this before, like you came up to Plattsburgh, um, two questions, what made you want to go into journalism and broadcast? Because I asked you, were you undecided coming up? Or was this like my, you know, like this was, yeah, like this is what I'm going for. Um, so why did you want to go into your major? Um, and then why did you pick, you said Plattsburgh because of the, you know, obviously Plattsburgh because of the program. But like, do you, like, did you like Plattsburgh? Did you visit it prior to coming up? Because like, I mean, Syracuse is a lot of snow too. So you're used to that yeah. and used to the cold <laughs> weather. So it's not the climate's pretty similar. But what, what attracted you to Plattsburgh more so than just the actual or was that it? Was it just because of the major? No, uh, honestly, so funny story. Didn't want to come to Plattsburgh. Um, as anybody can probably relate to on the level of somebody who has a, a, a kid or somebody that's going in college um, right now, it seemed like every weekend was a college visit. It was a different college, a different day. And we really stuck in New York State. So, you know, but it was still, I mean, New York's a huge state. Um, so we're going out on these two-hour trips, three-hour trips, four four-hour trips every other weekend intertwined with me being in cross-country and traveling for different cross-country meets every weekend. It was just getting to be tiring. <laughs> and so my mom was like, well, SUNY Plattsburgh was one of the ones that they recommended for, for broadcast journalism. Let's go check it out. And I said, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> so um, she dragged me up there. Um, the I think the open house started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Syracuse is about four hours away. So, uh, we got up around like four o'clock ish 
And, you know, during the school year in high school, that's not a fun time. So she, she dragged me up. And honestly, I did not do much research about SUNY Plattsburgh before I came, like location-wise. I had with some of the, the other colleges that we were visiting, just didn't have the time. And so I was under the impression we were going to be in the middle of the woods. And I was a little nervous about that. And because I'm, I'm a people person, I like to be near kind of cities, you know, lots of people. So we're coming up. I fell asleep almost immediately as we hit the throughway, you know, just going up. Um, and I woke up when we were on 87, just as we kind of got back, got past, I think it's Queensbury, you know, getting right into the Adirondack Park. And of course, it was the fall open house. And it's the foliage of the Adirondacks. And yes, I've been to Old Forge is closer, you know, to my side of the Adirondack Park. Um, but never had I really seen the mountainous ranges and the the views of the Adirondack Park before like that especially in the foliage which is in my opinion the peak time to to go and see these and so I woke up and I looked around I was like whoa this is kind of cool still in the back of my head I was like "Mm, not really sure if Plattsburgh's in the middle of the woods or not uh but I guess we'll figure that out and as we kind of came up on to Plattsburgh you know the mountains kind of faded away and all of a sudden it was flat and I was like that's really weird because you know for somebody who had never been up to the north country before I was like, just under the impression that everything was basically north of, north of Albany was just mountains. So um, that was new to me. And I was like, okay, it feels a little bit more like home. You know, the sidewalks, the, the years that the homes were built in, um, you know, just kind of the way that the community operated. I was like, okay, I'm from a suburb of Syracuse, seems very similar. And I felt comfortable. And I always heard from other tour guides at other schools that when you find that right school, it clicks. And so... I, I felt it almost immediately as I entered the community. They've got all the stuff that we have here. They don't have a Wegmans. Working on that. <laughs> my, my, my wife lived in uh, Rochester for a few years, so she's a big Wegmans, big Wegmans fan. Yes, that is like the the world center of Wegmans right there. You know, you've got the the original mm-hmm. uh, right there in Rochester. But I, I can't lie, I love everything about Plattsburgh, except for that they don't have a Wegmans. I think a lot of people would agree. If they've ever yeah. been to Western New York, I think they'd agree, like, bring Wegmans up if you can. Um, I heard there's reasons why they can't do that or something, but... Yeah, I think it's... Them and Hannaford have a have a deal, but... I, I think so. It's something like that, yeah. But, so, you know, I got here. I went on campus. I had a phenomenal tour guide. I actually still remember her name. Her name was Sarah. And to be honest, my myself, I'm a tour guide now, and I always keep that in the back of my mind, that they can make the difference in whether or not you attend that school, whether or not that the next four years of your life are spent on that campus. Mm-hmm. And she made that difference. And I fell in love with how the college itself is a medium-sized. It's, it's not huge, but it's not really small either. Um, they have a lot of students from New York City. So being exposed to the diversity of ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and just diversity in, in human beings in general. And that was really cool to me. That was something I never really was able to experience on a full scale in a suburban white high school. Um, so that to me was very appealing. Now, if you ask anybody from the city, they just laugh when you say that it's diverse. But, mm-hmm. you know, for me, that's something new. That was something that was, that was really nice. Um, talking about the broadcasting program, they've got this great sort of way of the, the classes are not large. So you're getting this more one-on-one time with the professors. You're not a number. Many of the professors are comfortable enough to be approached with their first name. Um, and that makes it much more comfortable in learning. Um, and honestly, if you ask any person in the comm department, we're just one big family. And it's weird because as soon as you get there, you just feel it. You feel this sense of, of family Maybe it's because we're spending like 
close to 24 hours with each other all the time doing projects late late at night you know i don't think i've seen any other major doing projects like that before where we are up into the crazy hours of the morning together but you know i i think that's what really builds a really strong major and a really strong department and that really attracted me so uh when did you come to plattsburgh what year roughly uh 2018 the fall of 2018 okay and yeah, so like I went to Plattsburgh. I graduated, I think, in 2011. I think it was 2011 okay. I graduated. So same thing. Like I was from Shazy, which is a little mm-hmm. bit north of here. Yep. And kind of like you, like it is it, funny that I lived here my whole life. And you, you go to Plattsburgh, you know, you're involved. You go to like the hockey game or, you know, you might go through campus and it might be some function. Or I remember as a kid going through like the art. Um, my, is it Myers, the art area? Um, well, they, they have one down there. They also have one in the library, too. Uh, well, I went to both. So okay. went, yeah, so they had the, the library one, which is kind of like, it really feels like a museum. Yeah. And then the actual art area, which is, you know, a lot of times they have the, the pictures up for the students that did the work. So like we were, we were exposed a little bit to, but it was, it was more of like the community going to see stuff at the college. You weren't experiencing the cult, like the kids at college. Yeah. So I agree. It was extremely diverse for what I was used to. And it was crazy just to know, like I'm in the center of Plattsburgh. And I can drive around Plattsburgh and do my thing. And once I go into Plattsburgh State, when this like it just feels different, and it doesn't feel like it was weird for me because when you started off, like like I said, kids from the city, kids from like I, Shazy is a small school, so you see, yeah. I had kids that I went to kindergarten that graduated. Like I, I, I we had twelve or thirteen, whatever, thirteen years of kindergarten all the way through. Yeah. And I was just with the same kids. It just it was almost like every year they just kind of shook up the snowball and then mm-hmm. you just bounced around to class to class. <laughs> but that was like you eventually you all graduated together. And yeah, same here. The class of 130, I think it oh, was. Oh yeah, we, so. we were half of that. So I mean, wow. it was it, maybe even actually a little bit less than half. So uh, we were about 50 kids. So doing all that and kind of like you said, and then to go through was just kind of a mind trip when I could be sitting in. This is before uh, Sable was built for you guys. That was my parking lot. Oh, wow. Lot. <laughs> yeah, that was my parking lot all the way through. Holy so, like, cow. sitting in, like, uh, Sable, like, yeah. in the parking lot there. Um, and then you, like, walk in the Hawkins or wherever, and yeah. then, or Yoakum. And you spend a lot of time, I'm assuming, in Yoakum. You probably live in Yoakum. I, yeah, I mean, it's my second home at this point. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I had a couple uh, couple courses in Yoakum, but it was the idea that you could go to Plattsburgh State, and it was a huge, like, like you kind of joke like diversity, but for us, it was like, wow, there's a lot of people. And I didn't realize mm-hmm. how many different students come to Plattsburgh and now having known people on campus that work in admissions or work in, um, I had one girl that I knew that used to travel to, I guess like, I guess like college fairs, they'd go to different places, oh, yeah. different yep. schools and set yeah. up and take them to Plattsburgh. And, um, having known all these people and where they were going and where they were trying to, um, I guess, target, it was crazy. Like there's mm-hmm. so much more to it than just what we think like the North country. Yeah. Um, so like so far at Plattsburgh, what's been your favorite part? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, to be quite honest with you, one of the other reasons that pushed me to, to Plattsburgh was knowing that there weren't many people from my high school there. I wanted something fresh. Like, like you, I wanted something that was a little different, mix it up a little bit, not see the same people from high school on campus. Um, and I think the coolest part may not be, you know, the academics itself, the the things that the college puts on for us, the opportunities that we have. But I think it was the ability to have these these friend groups that popped up where they were made in less than a year and you feel like you knew them for a lifetime. And that's probably the same for many college campuses. But I think for me, that's what I'm always going to associate with Plattsburgh was I was able to get this fresh start. I was able to um, get this new diverse group of friends with different backgrounds, differing opinions. And, and for the first time, actually feel like I could have these, these conversations 
that I was never able to have before, ask questions I was never able to do before because I was never exposed to the same issues that I was back at home. So I think what, if, if I'm to answer this question, if my favorite part is being able to be exposed and to have this, this group of friends that I can now um, happily say that, you know, we are friends and that we are able to have these conversations I was never able to have before um, and be exposed to all sorts of things. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think a lot of people, um, when you go away to college, a lot of people meet, you know, lifetime friends, they meet their spouse, they meet their, you know, they meet a teacher that has a phenomenal impact on them or they make yeah. some connections that might lead down a career path. And I think that's the benefit of, um, like I, I'm, there's a lot of things I like about college. There's a lot of things I dislike about college, but I think at the end of the day, uh, like when I went to college, I didn't need college to do what I did, but I yeah. was saying before when I went to college, I didn't know I wanted to do real estate. So yeah. even though I got my license while I was in college, it was more of a means to, it was like, it was like a, a stepping stone. It was like, oh, I'll do it for a couple of years then I'll go into supply chain management. And just, I never, I never caught the love of supply chain management, but I found it in real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Going to going to Plattsburgh, you you know, meeting friends, you're doing your thing. Like yeah. when you go into like again, well, I think actually to go back, why you came to Plattsburgh, why did you want to do broadcast broadcasting, journalism, TV production, all the the media stuff that you're talking about, and like what was the driving force behind that? You know, I, I and I love to talk about this. Yeah, um, go, I know you, <laughs> yeah, you light up, yeah, and, yeah. and and I follow you enough to know that you really like this stuff. So. Yeah, so it really happened. It happened back in my sophomore year of high school. I was a struggling student. I would never consider myself. I was never a, a bad student. I never got in trouble. I know, <laughs> I know that sounds really dumb. Um, but, you know, it wasn't it wasn't being a, a bad student in the sense of, oh, I'm out there to make trouble in the hallways, you know, beat somebody up. Uh, it was academics were challenging. And it was just the the idea of having somebody teaching now has it seems to and this is not any fault of the teachers whatsoever it's just the way the curriculum in new york state runs you are teaching to the test at this point and the ways that that new york state wants you to learn how to do these things is you know be able to you're the student you now have to use our system and if you don't get that too bad you know we're moving at our own pace and we're just going to leave you behind if you don't get it for me, it was math. It was math was the huge struggle for me. So I was always the English history sort of kid than the math or any STEM, you know, sort of mm-hmm. things in high school. Uh, and so by the time that we got to my sophomore year, I had a pretty serious talk with my mom, which was pretty emotional because for the first time in my, my life, it was like, you're going into junior year next year. You really need to decide, do you want to go down the college path? And for the first time in my life, you know, Whereas all these teachers in years past have been like, it's high school, then college. There's not really another option. And if there is, they kind of looked upon those people as less than. And I thought that was such a terrible thing. And and so in my mind, it was always, okay, high school, then college. Don't know where I'm going yet. Don't know what I'm going to major in, but that's the that's the plan. And when I got to my sophomore year, my mom seriously asked me, she goes, if we were to kind of explore these alternative ideas to college, what would you want to do? And I said, do you not think I'm getting into college? She goes, no, I just want to explore them. And it was kind of a reality check of, oh my gosh, I don't know if my grades are good enough. I don't know if me as a person reflected with those grades will be good enough to get into a university. And it scared me. And my saving grace from that was honestly this this program that came in. Uh, it was OCM BOCES, which is a BOCES program, much like they have here at CV Tech. Um, and OCM BOCES... It's like any other trade school. They've got their cosmetology. They've got their um, 
all these other programs, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I know about. Um, early childhood education, so on and so forth. They also have these programs that are kind of unusual. They're these, these embedded programs. And at the time they only had three. We now have, I think up to five. Uh, and the three of them were physical therapy, which was housed downtown Syracuse um, at this major physical therapy facility that actually catered a lot to Syracuse university athletes. Um, and then we had our criminal justice, which was housed at the Onondaga County Sheriff's department. Um, also downtown Syracuse and one called media marketing communications, which was housed at WCNY, uh, which is our public media station, much like Mountain Lake PBS up here. And so those three programs differed greatly from, from your normal, uh, trade programs because these programs were not really set set up or designed to have you leave and say, Hey, we're just going to go out into the world and just do this now because you you are required to have a degree for all three of these. Actually, I'm missing the fourth one. The fourth one was nursing. That was at uh, SUNY Upstate Medical University. So, um, you know, these these programs were really designed for you to succeed and and for that transition from high school to college to be seamless. And to be quite honest with you, BOCES in Syracuse, especially at the demographic of school that I went to, where a lot of the parents were doctors and lawyers and people who hold these, these high-standing prestigious jobs or looked at as these sort of jobs... And a lot of people looked upon BOCES as, oh, that's the option that you take when you're not going to graduate from high school. You just need this this al- alternative to college because you're not going to get into it. And so in my mind, that's always what I thought. I was like, BOCES isn't going to be for, I'm not going to be a BOCES kid. We looked at those because they got on the bus halfway through the day. See you later. Um, and so I was skeptical of the program. However, when they got to media marketing, I was like, wait. That's something I've been doing for a while. They talked about making videos with your friends. You know, that's been something I've been doing since childhood. Um, They talked about how you get to work in a TV studio for half the day. Like your classes are literally working on cameras, you know, being on air personality, writing script, these really exciting things. And I was like, wait, there's such thing as school that's like in a non-traditional setting. Like (laughs) I can go into a, 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 a TV studio and have that be a school. Like what? So... I was skeptical. My mom, of course, was also very skeptical of it. And we looked into it and they were like, well, you also get to graduate with 22 college credits through SUNY OCC or Onondaga Community College. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And my mom goes, so what's the catch? Where's, Where's the money? Do we have to pay anything? And, you know, we looked into it a little bit further. You didn't have to pay anything for the program. You had to sign up. You had to apply as if you were going into college. You had to really, um, you had to write an essay. You had to have, um, three letters of, oh, what was it called? Three, three recommendations. of the, yeah, yep. three recommendation yep. letters, stuff like that. And I was very nervous. And to be honest with you, one of the other things that kind of pushed me in that direction for the wrong reason was my guidance counselor at the time, who, it seems like this is a common theme and it seems to be portrayed that way in a lot of movies as well. I did have that stereotypical guidance counselor who really wasn't very supportive of a lot of things you wanted to do. Uh, and actually, eventually at one point in my life told me that I, probably wasn't the best fit for going to college as well. So, um, you know, it was one of those things that it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to push myself to go into this program because it looks like it could really help me. Best decision I've ever made. I took two years of my, my school. So that'd be my junior and senior year, half days, we would go down to the studio and I would take classes there. And, um, like I said before, it was the writing scripts. It was working on the um, the cameras, making your own little little films, little projects and stuff on top of doing your regular uh, high school classes and then also on top of taking college courses. So I got all of my prerequisites out at SUNY OCC uh, through this BOCES program, which really helped me. And honestly, when it came down to it, um, what is it, AP students mm-hmm. graduate with eight credits. Mm-hmm. We graduated with 22 and we didn't have to pay for the textbook. 
<laughs> so, you know, it was, it was stuff like that. They paid for everything, which mm-hmm. was great. Um, and so you get this hands-on experience. Um, and then the reality check kind of set in and, and the student that I used to be, that was like, Oh, they go to BOCES. You became that student. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt almost as it was my unspoken duty to change that narrative and change that conversation in our school. So when I came back, I'd start bragging about the experiences that I had because who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, well, I'm a little biased, but <laughs> you know, who wouldn't want to go spend half a day to work on cameras? Who wouldn't want to go? And, and it really, it just became this amazing life-changing experience. And honestly, I have to shout out my teacher for that, Kathy Lubolis. And she is just somebody who does her job right in the sense that she believes in everybody's dreams and she will find a way to make sure that um, whatever you want to do in your life, she is there every step of the way supporting you, making sure that you have that you're on top of everything that you need to do to go in the right direction, essentially. Um, so that's really where I got my start. And I'm so grateful to WCNY because they gave me my first ever on-air experience. I got to help guest host this thing called Travel Auction, which is a, a um, it's this fundraiser for uh, our TV station. Obviously, we're, we're member and, and publicly funded, essentially. So, you know, we had to make our, our money through those. I got to help sell travel packages and stuff like that on TV. I got to guest host with Liz Ayers, who is honestly in Syracuse. She's a, a TV legend. So my first ever time, she was my co-host. Um, and she was giving me these tips. And I was like, this is a dream come true. Like the the legend of Syracuse Broadcasting, I am standing next to her right now. And she is giving me tips on on air personality. Like it couldn't get any better than that. That was my junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just got better from there, essentially. And my grades started turning around in high school. My grades started turning around for these college courses. And I found myself coming out of that that rut that I was once in my sophomore year. And instead of, you know, thinking, oh, well, I let's look for these alternative options to college, I was starting to look at what colleges do I want to go to? What colleges, um, what colleges are the best fit for me? So the narrative of that changed as well. And that's really what, what got me into it excuse me, to be quite honest. Um, it was just, I can't, I can't say enough about it. And there's, we could be here for another two hours, essentially, if I were to talk about my full experience, the full extent of experience that I got there. Um, but I will leave with this, one of my most notable experiences besides getting my first on air, um, time was to be able to work on a nationally recognized documentary for PBS called Erie, the canal that built America. And the person that narrated it was David Muir, who's the, the host of world news tonight. Um, on ABC. He is somebody that I've followed um, for so many years of my life. He is my inspiration. He's somebody that I really appreciate the work that he does. And he also grew up in Syracuse. And he also got a very young start in the broadcasting world. Um, And so just to kind of, uh, to work on a project indirectly with him, unfortunately, he did all of his recording in New York while I was in Syracuse. But uh, just to have my name on the same project as his name was enough, (laughs) you know? So, so... Everything you just said like makes me so happy because I think um, I was again to take a go back a little bit earlier than you like same thing it was high school college high school college and I was one that I'll be honest seventeen eighteen I didn't know any different um, I was talking to a girl here that works with us the other day she's finishing up school mm-hmm. and I told her I said the only reason I went to Plastic State at the time I lived. 20 minutes down the road was I stayed at home. I didn't, um, I had some scholarships for it, but my thing at 17, 18 years old is like, I just don't want to go into debt. So yeah, I didn't go yeah. like, I, st- I stayed home. 
I went to school. I, I basically, in, in essence, went to college for free. I've never had a student loan payment in my, my life nice. until I married my <laughs> wife. And then I've, we just paid off hers, so I'm excited. But um, I've, I've never had one in my life. So, But it was the idea that and it didn't click with me until probably the last handful of years. But again, you, you how old are you now? I'm 20. Okay, perfect. So your perspective change. I'm 30. So I have 10 years on you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my, your perspective over 10 years, and it's, it's, if I had, if you were 40 and talking to me, you would say the same thing to me. It's like, you're 30, so you're 40s. And I, and mm-hmm. I truly believe that I'll be a totally different, I'll, I'll be a, a more experienced person at age 40 for better or for worse, but I'll know a lot more. So I think mm-hmm. it'd be better. So what happened was when I went from your age to say 25, it wasn't that I like thought, like I kind of looked at college like, College is only really good for students that need to go to college for whatever program they're going for. Like, there's yeah. a lot of people. Like, if you're going to go to college, I went for like basically business. Like, it depends what you want to do with your degree. If you want to go to college to open up a business, you you better off just going to shadow somebody because like yeah. I, like I basically everything I've learned from running a kind of a company, I've just learned on the fly. Like, I, I mean, I'm I grab stuff. I, I I really like what I do, so I self teaching myself a lot of stuff. But it's mm-hmm. just trial and error. A lot of it, you know. You, you again, I pick the brains of people and mentors and try to learn from people. And but you still have to go through the motions and stub your toes and stuff. And yeah, um, the fact that you said, "Hey, listen, I don't want to go. I may not want to go to college. Yeah, because my interest in it or my learning ability or whatever is maybe not suited to college. Because like again, high school, you're 100 percent." on board it's, it's it, or you're right i mean it, you're doing it for the regents you know it's college you do all this criteria to get a piece of paper um the benefit for what you said was and i wish we, this is why i wish i had video because if anybody was just watching this alex is going through everything you're talking about it all good and as soon as you said i can go and do journalism half the day be in a broadcast studio write script I don't know if I want to sit and write script. It, you made it sound like it was the most interesting thing in the world. And I was like, give me a script. I want to write this script. And But the, just the passion you have talking about it is the reason why for a lot of kids, like I don't believe college is the answer. I believe college is the answer if there's something that you're legitimately going for at college or if you want the college experience of going and meeting new people, then go knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. But I think some people, they get in this box that I have to go to college. Realistically, like I, I look at the, the, like you said, I got out of school. I got all my gen eds done before I even had to go to college. Like gen eds to me are just a waste of time because you learned them all in high school. Yeah. You're yep. paying money for, another I mean, English some, <laughs> yeah, another English, there's some cool ones. I took an anthropology class. Yeah, I took a couple, yeah. you know, but I literally could have went through all my gen eds taking math, science, history, and you know, uh, English or whatever we had to do. Um, and for you to say, listen, I went in and I got half those credits in something that I really liked. You're right. You saved the money. Like it's, it was a good cost, cost effective way to do it too. Um, but you're, if, if you, if I was to tell you, Hey, Alex do real estate and you didn't really care much about real estate, I'm sure you could hack your way through it and you'd be okay. You were never, you're not going to excel at real estate if you don't love it. Same thing in broadcast. If you're like, if you said, you know, you have two things, broadcast or this, I guarantee your production level in the broadcast field is way more than something else because you have a passion for it. And I think the fact that you, like you literally lit up like a Christmas tree (laughs) as soon as you mentioned, I'm going to go to do this stuff for production and I get to hang out. But I think the perception is the same thing. The BOCES kids, they leave halfway through the day and you're like, oh, those kids are going to do like, 
plumbing or something yeah, like that. Yeah. That's what a, you know, what a low level thing I'm looking at it now. Like, I wish I knew how to do plumbing. I wish yeah. I knew how to do electric. <laughs> and I think what's going to happen is a lot of these kids that are going in, I've talked to, um, uh, career fair, career days, whatever for kids. Yeah, like you go yeah. down, like, I guess it's career day. You go to the schools and you talk to kids and I'm like, what do you guys want to do? And I always ask them, so what do you guys want to do after high school? And some people are like college. Some kids are like, I'm joining the workforce. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, great. Like, I tell a lot of them, like, go go to a trade school. Go learn. Like, if yeah. you're, if you're like, working with your hands and you don't like sitting behind a textbook, I say, go learn how to be a plumber, electrician. Because what people don't realize, well, I think some people do, but some people don't, is that go try to find them. I mean, I'm in a profession that we need some of those people, and yeah. you can never find them. You can't find people that are, are reliable or are able to do it in time or they're backed up or they don't get back to you. And I'm like, I said, learn how to do the trade. If you want to be... This is what I thought about. If I got out of real estate for some reason, there's about yeah. two ways, two things I would do. I'd go into marketing because I like marketing, or I would learn how to do a trade, plumbing, electric, something like that. And I would take my business background with the new knowledge of trade. I would work on it, build my business up, and then I would just basically expand out until I own this large, like kind of like a uh, like a PM Leary around here, or Ace Electric. Like yeah. I would go and develop a bigger that's exactly what i'd do i'd find a trade that i know is going to be needed and i know the people that know how to do it are retiring yeah and the young kids that are going in are not going in for that and, and you can go in for you know computer um digital media you can go in computer like a coding you can do all the video game design yeah, all yeah. these like things people want to do but it's at the end of the day when it's three o'clock in the morning in the middle of the winter and your pipe, pipes freeze, you got or you have a plumbing leak, you need to know have people fix it. Like that's not yeah. going away. Yeah. It's going to be there. <laughs> so that's always just something that jumps out at me is everything you just said. Like I can't shake my head more of like you're so spot on. Yeah, and and the biggest misconception about what's happening with trade is is it's not your parents' trade school anymore because you know they're just thinking of. Okay, yes. And and here's the thing too because it gets a little it gets a little complicated because we just talked about plumbing. Welders are a huge one right now. There is a huge lack of welders in the United States, and that's the job that you can set your own price because there are not enough people who do that. So these people are making so much money. <laughs> Supply and demand, man. Yeah. Yep, real and thing. So it's things like welders and plumbers and yes, those are needed, but I think the other thing is CTE itself, Career Tech Ad is tr- is changing drastically in Syracuse. And this is, I really just know of this because, you know, it's, it's a program that I stay close to. We have started two new programs. One of them we, you've had up here at CV tech for a very long time. And that's diesel tech. And that one is super important. And also one that's kind of overlooked when you're talking about automotive tech. Um, but the other thing is we started something. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the company Lockheed Martin, uh, they're contracted with the government. They do, uh, the radars and stuff like that. There is now a CTE course you can take back in Syracuse that is housed inside Lockheed Martin that these students need to go through a government background check to work at and are not allowed to discuss their schoolwork with anyone. They are now entrusting juniors in high school who are interested in engineering for, you know, the essentially for a company that's contracted with the U.S. government learning about things that we on our regular person base will never know about to work. And, and I, you know, I believe that their, their hope is to just hire these students right out of that. I mean, this is not in anywhere near what my parents' generation of BOCES could ever possibly think about. Um, so, and I think this is just the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg because I think that as we get further into education and having my mom as a teacher, having kind of this insight into what's happening in the education world, especially in New York State, that I think it's become so cookie cutter 
and so you know straightforward with with teaching to the test then students themselves are now getting sick of that and finally getting sick of that um and saying yeah that's not for me anymore and I, i'm hoping that we're going in the right direction that more students are open to doing this uh not just for the sake of you know being like well plumbers and welders are in need but for the sake that they can actually go out and find something that they're passionate about because like you said you know this is literally something that i absolutely love to do it makes all the difference in your learning so when you in a normal day, like I want to run down of what you do in a day, because this, yeah. this is the, when we talk about passion stuff, like I love what I do. Um, I love the business building aspect. I love the real estate aspect. I like the helping people aspect, um, the marketing. Um, I kind of joke like today's, today's Thursday. And it, the reason it's kind of tough because every day really blurs together for me. Oh yeah. And, and it's kind of, it's fun though, because if I, if you say, oh, today's Sunday and tomorrow's Monday. And I was thinking about this, um, my son, he's a little guy, <laughs> so he's under three. So he's sitting there and he's talking to me last night and kind of like a little kid talk. We're, yeah. having, we're starting to have conversations, <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. And he said something about dad home now, like tonight or dad's dad's home. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, I'm home. He goes, not not going to office? I'm like, nope, but not going to the office. And then he asked something about why, why you work. I said, well, that's, you know, that's my job. Like, that's mm -hmm. what I do. And it's kind of hard to tell a three-year-old, like, that's my job, but I don't look at this like a job because I'm like, I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, like Mondays, Monday, Friday, it's all the same to me. It really, like, the only yeah. thing that changes is maybe the night. Like, it might, okay, Friday night's a little different than Monday night or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, but the actual day to day is the same. It just feels the same. It doesn't, like, a Saturday to a Tuesday doesn't really feel any different. And I'm lucky. And it, I, I'm sure it's the same way. Like, you feel energized to go into the newsroom and do your thing. So for a, a kid 20 years old in college, being a reporter at a local news station and being involved in other avenues. Like what's a normal day week in the life of Alex. And I think that's where the interesting part comes in. Yeah. Do it the best you can. There is no normal day, yeah. especially for a journalist. Um, and I think that's what also attracts me to it. I, and this is to no offense, anybody who works at a cubicle job, it's just not for me. Uh, if I envision my life sitting at a cubicle, I just don't know what I would do. I, I thrive, and we talked about this before. I thrive on having a lot of things to do, uh, different commitments, different things to be involved with. And part of being a journalist is coming into work every day. And yes, maybe the way that you kind of go about, you know, okay, yes, we have to set up the interview. How long does it take to get there? Setting up the camera. That's going to be remain consistent. The people that you meet, the stories that you get to do, the lives that you get to change for better or for worse, um, you know, are really uh, all different and they're all so unique in their own ways. And I'm sure in, in a certain sense, this can relate to, to real estate. You're working with different clients, you're working with different homes, you know, and I just, I, I love the idea that I can come into what you say is, um, you know, quote unquote work, but that I can come in and, and show up and just have something different that day. And um, yes, I've, I've hooked or I've uh, made this, this appointment to, to interview John Smith, but I don't know anything about John Smith and the, the ability to, to pick his brain and to be able to um, really tell their story about whatever it is, whether it is a positive story talking about how they're raising money for a local charity or unfortunately a story that they must, they might've lost a loved one to a disease or to suicide or something like that. Either way, we're there to get their message and share their story so that others can look at that either on the evening news or stream it or look online and say, I can relate to that. I feel their pain. I feel motivated now to, to share my story or I feel motivated to donate, you know, things like that. Um, and to know that, that people can watch and, and have this call to action essentially uh, on whatever that story is. 
or maybe it's a feel-good story. Some of my favorites to do are the human interest. I, I really do love just picking people's brains and similar to you, like you said, you like to learn from other people's businesses. So, um, it's like that, except for that we, we throw a large camera and a microphone in front of you. <laughs> so, so, but, um, we'll go into a couple of things you mentioned. Um, but what, like, again, it, at, at a, a normal day, Plastic State, like what, how do you, do you, what's your class look like online classes right now? Do you go to, you know, do you go to the studio? Do you just, are you kind of like freelance and run around and do your own thing? Like, yeah. So my, my work schedule is Friday through Monday. So, um, that's like a 10 AM to 7 PM sort of ordeal. Um, on those days, I don't have any classes, which is nice. So I don't have any classes on Mondays or Fridays. Uh, and I'll do that. And it's completely remote. So I don't actually have to go back over to Vermont. I just stay here in New York. I'm reporting on New York news, uh, all that good stuff. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are classes. Um, and those days, I would say, I think consistently I wake up at around like eight or nine every morning. Um, and those days I have one in-person class, which is a math class. Uh, and then my two online are, excuse me. No, I think I have five classes. Yeah, there we go. So <laughs> yeah, like you said, everything's kind of blurring together yeah. at this point. The pandemic is certainly not helping with that. So um yeah, so my I have two online courses, one in person, um, and it's it's really it's it's quite interesting. Instead of waking up and having to walk to a class, it, it's honestly a little bit more convenient. Stay in your pajamas, just turn on that camera, hang out for a little bit, do your class, you know, something like that. Uh, and then towards the end of my day, uh, I anchor the evening news on campus. So I'm not affiliated with the station at all. This is just strictly for Plattsburgh State, and so I'll go through my my day of classes, do my homework, and then around. 5.30, I'll go down to Yoakum Hall, which is where our communications department is, and I'll set up the studio, get it ready for the evening newscast, uh, and that's like a typical weekday. Um, excuse me, it's either that or it's waking up, getting on a news call, um, talking about stories that we're going to pitch for the day, and going on assignment. So it, it's toggling between the two, which is nice, but uh, that's got me working seven days a week at this point. Um, like how how do you um come up with who you interview like when you guys talk about that or like who do you like how do you get the connections or how do you find the stories or yeah so um to be honest it's 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 different so either they ha we have assignment editor whose job is to go out and kind of find story ideas for us um and sometimes obviously with things larger things happening especially government things we'll get press releases so we'll go and cover that but um honestly it's through social media and I really, to be honest, can't imagine uh, being a journalist without social media. It has helped me find so many different story ideas. Um, and it's it's social media, or sometimes it's word of mouth. Like, I've had even neighbors back home in Syracuse who will say, hey, I know this person who lives in Burlington. They've got this really unique background. Um, they're, you know, they're a part of this sports team. They do that, you know. Uh, maybe you should get in touch with them. And so it's the random connections, honestly, that really get you through. And like we were saying before, that how we even met was through social media. I went and I just followed everybody that I um, looked like they made a difference in the community up here, uh, just so that I could see what these people were doing. Not not just what um, you know the town or city of Plattsburgh was posting, but what the people here who own businesses, who who worked in businesses, who um, taught here. You know, essentially just to, to follow these people and follow their stories. Um, and usually that's what kind of leads me to different things. Uh, I can't say that there's one specific way that's just, you know, there's not like a database or anything where it's like, oh, here's the story for the day. I wish. I wish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's so. digging. It's researching. It's yeah. and 
And one of the things that, and I, I'm kind of, we're, we're very similar in a sense that if you're going out and you're getting your news story, I, I'm going out and trying to find clients or business and you, yeah. and how do, and I was again meeting with some new agents, like how do you generate business? You, how do you generate a story? Like you have to be proactive. You have yeah. to go out and go search or take the story. Like you, if you just, if you just sat in your dorm room or your apartment or whatever, and just like waited for a story to fall in your lap, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And it, and that's the thing that I think so many people, there's some people that aren't, there's, there's like, there's so, so many good. And we were saying before, again, off air, like the amount of good that young kids can do or young people, you know, 20 to 30 years old that like the ones that really have a passion and want to get after it do and do a great job. And you're one that I think, Based off what I see in your interaction and just the stuff that you're trying to do and some of the stories that I've seen you do or actually pull off, it's like I can tell that that's probably something that you take a lot of pride and have a lot of fun in doing is like I want to search out that story. I want to search out that angle. I want to search out whatever it might be, uh, but you want to get your – not really your voice, but you want to be in there to show the voice of the person that you're interviewing. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's just – it's such an interesting industry. Um, because I think to say to that too, is, you know, finding the clients and you can understand this too, finding, finding the people to interview, finding clients, it doesn't always work out. And I think that's where the interesting part comes in and, and it's needing to work on your toes because you could be set up for an interview that's happening today at four o'clock and at three forty-five you get a call that says, eh, it's not going to work out today or eh, we just decided we don't want to do it. And your deadline is five o'clock. So there you go. You have to have these backups. You have to have these things that we in the industry call evergreen stories, these things that can have no time attachment to them. So it's just, it's it's knowing how to research. It's knowing how to maintain good connections so that, hey, if this falls through, I can call up somebody else and say, hey, we were talking about doing a story a while back. Do you want to just push it to today? You know, and something like that. Uh, and like you said, it's all about the connections. It's all about the research. And it's all about maintaining those connections, which is very important. Um one thing that that we like to do is just maintain those connections. We never know that, you know, some guy named Mike who owns a tire store, yeah, we're there because they're raising money for a charity one day, but maybe the next day or a couple of days later, you know, something happens and their tires are stolen. They're, who are they going to come to first? You know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those things. It's, there's so many, so many parts to the <laughs> to the industry so, and finding uh, the stories, essentially. Well, well this is what I'm kind of, I, I, I'm interested in, like, Obviously, you see, it's it's kind of funny. You take like these are dramatized things, but say uh, I was a big House of Cards fan. I love mm-hmm. House of Cards, great show. Um, and you always had these like news reporters, but they were in with certain people, and then they yeah. went and they they would only speak to certain. Uh, you know, I know there's obviously a lot of fixed fictitious information with this, but I still think there's a lot of truth to that. Is like like you have your select. Like you called me the other day about a real estate story. Yeah, like if you're like. I know I might have been terrible in the story, but if you're like, hey, that story was good, I can lean on Galen. If I need a quick real estate thing, boom, hey, can we do I'm, I'm, I need an evergreen story. Yeah. I'm sure you have people like that in the community in different fields where it's like if you have that connection and they know Alex is calling and it's like, yeah, Alex professional, he's quick. I, I know it's going to be done in about 15 minutes. Perfect. I, got, I can do it. Um, and that's something that I think it's going to bode well, but do you find that you've now being putting yourself out there? Do you, are you making those connections? Do you have those people in your back pocket, like the Rolodex saying, Hey, I know I can lean on that person for an evergreen story. Should Yeah, no. And not even just for an evergreen story for maybe even last minute for a, a story that that's pressing. Like you said, 
for some reason, something in the real estate world just goes completely wrong tomorrow. You know, I know that I could probably turn to you and just say, Hey, can we weigh in on a local, local take on what's happening? You know, like what's happening to the market, you know? Um, and, and to have those connections. So it's slowly building. I, I have to say, I think that I'm definitely not as, I don't have as many connections right now as, um, you know, somebody who's been in the industry for a certain amount of years staying. And that's the key staying in that city. I think what an interesting part about our job with these connections and, and maintaining those connections is that a lot of these stations are owned by mega corporations where you're only contracted in that city, in that area for two years and whether or not either a, sometimes you're given the choice to stay B you, you aren't and, or not that you aren't, but maybe you don't want to stay. Maybe you're just going to move on, but it's, getting those connections, maintaining those connections. Then after two years, I might be in Burlington, but you know, maybe after my two year contract, I'm in Portland, Oregon. So it's really, really strange to like build those up. And then are you, I mean, are you okay with the, uh, the turnover like that? You know, that something that, cause I've seen it where, again, we take, we talked about Tory before, like yeah. he's, you said, now he's on to a second spot from even a year and a half ago. Yeah. And then I look at local guys like Tom Messner, who's been here for 30 years and yeah, he's still kicking yeah. at the same station. Like some people do, some people are like, I think at a certain point you get enough like pull or, or uh, leverage in your end that you're like, listen, I'm not moving. Like I'm the top dude and I'm just, I like the area. I want to stay yeah. here. But are you okay with like, Hey, two, two years from now, I got to move to Oregon. I think it's like what we were talking about before when it comes with age and it comes with experiences. Right now, as a 20-year-old senior in college, I'm like, yeah, sign me up. Let's do two years here. Then I can spend two years somewhere warm. <laughs> the key point, growing in upstate New York, I'm looking for someplace a little bit warmer right now. But, you know, who knows? I might find my way back after four, six, eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think right now, as I'm in, in my my younger years, I think I'm okay with that because I'm like, yeah, I'm young. I'm willing to move. I'm willing to see these new cities. I want to see the country a little bit. It'd be really cool. I feel like there's no better way to see the country than move to these different cities, get to know these people's stories, move on to the next city. I think after a while though, you have to realize that, you know, people want to keep you at a station and they, the viewers, it really comes down to the viewers are, are they really connecting with you? Uh, are you connecting with the viewers? And do you want to make that decision to stay there for an indefinite period of time, you know, and I haven't even thought about that <laughs> at this point in my life. Cause it's been so early, but, um, I think, you know, you've, you've popped an idea into my mind to start picking the brains of, of, uh, reporters and anchors that have stayed in station markets for a elongated period of time, longer, at least longer than two years, longer than I'll say four years, probably. Cause that's a decent amount of time, uh, as to why they wanted to stay, um, reasons other than maybe the station wants to keep them for, for viewership reasons. But, um, yeah, I, I haven't thought that far. <laughs> so no. And I, I mean, you're 20, like I said, this is, this is, uh, I'm only coming as a 30 year old. So again, I'm still, I mm-hmm. still feel very young. Like I, I probably feel as young as you do. Just, I might look a little bit older cause you do look, <laughs> you look young, but it's, it's, a uh, it's still the idea that like, you're going to learn a lot, but if you have no, no, you have nobody like, yeah, again, I have kids and I'm married. Like if you don't have either of those things going on, you don't have to really ask anybody. You can pack up and leave tomorrow if you really wanted to, yeah. you know, obviously you have some responsibilities, but in the grand scheme of things, you haven't really planted yourself in a certain area and said, this is where I'm going to live forever. And yeah. I want to talk about that before um, we get done with this. But um, so a couple, I guess, kind of fun questions for you is um, like, who so far has been your best interview? Like who's the person that you've, I, I don't want to say best interview. I guess you could do two two steps. Best interview. Okay. But who was the person you got to interview that you 
are the happiest you've gotten to interview or you're most excited that you interviewed them or so and they may not be the same best that you might have said man i interviewed this little old lady one time and she just crushed it out of the park and it was such a great story yeah and versus hey here's this like person that i've always wanted to talk to an interview and i got to oh that's a good one um i you know and and being at that station, I've done probably a total of two years of actual reporting work that wasn't underneath the title of an intern. Um, that I was actually able to go out and reach the community in that sense, being alone and doing these stories. Um, oh, that's a tough one. There's one that I did semi-recently over the summer, and I don't know if it was the interviewee themselves. I, I, I really genuinely have enjoyed most of the people that I've selected for my own interviews that haven't been like press releases like press conferences and stuff like that um and one of them happened in st albans vermont and it was this retired nurse who got together this uh she was also in a quilting club and she got together her quilting volunteers and they made a quilt out of access mask material and i just thought this was a fascinating story and i got to her home and we were all outside socially distant doing her interview and she had the quilt outside and each piece of the quilt told a different story each quilter in the club had either um kind of dedicated their square to someone they knew or somebody they or somebody that was kind of affiliated with the community had donated money so that they could put their family square in there so there was actually parts of masks that were worn by nurses that are working you know tireless endless hours at these hospitals helping folks who who are suffering from COVID-19 um but then they're intertwined with uh, pieces of old army uniform from from loved ones. And I just, the idea of this whole quilt, it was just doing one story on many people's story. And I really love that. And of course she was amazing. She was just a wonderful person to work with. Um, but so I guess it wasn't really, it's not really the interviewees themselves. It's the stories that they tell that I'm really attracted to, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think so far that was one of my favorite stories to do. Um, but of course you have, the people that you work with with often and, and rely on for, for certain stories as well. Like you said, uh, these connections that are always just great because you show up and it feels like you're seeing an old friend again, you know, and it feels like, all right, set up the camera. We're just gonna have a quick conversation for five minutes and, and get what we need. And, um, and I, I like those as well. So I really have to say, I think that was my favorite story. I really haven't, I don't think there's a favorite person if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, yeah. It might not be yet. And I mean, is there someone that you always, is there someone that you want to interview? Is it like, hey, if I if I could say, Alex, today, if you I, you were able to interview this person, you would just be like head over, like cloud nine. David Muir. And that's the guy that did the, the story? World News Tonight. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, it's interesting because it's a journalist asking to interview another journalist, but to pick his brain about his journey from being this local Syracuse boy, um, I I believe he was like, 12 or 13 when they had him running around the TV station helping with equipment and stuff uh, at Channel 3, I believe it was. No, Channel 5. Yeah, it was Channel 5 back in Syracuse. Um, and, I mean, I just, I would love to pick his brain to, to how he is now watched by millions of Americans and potentially people, probably people around the world watching his newscast. I mean, that's just a phenomenal journey. I don't know if I ever want to be at his level because you're a celebrity level at that point. But, um you know, I just believe that's such a fascinating story, and I would love to to pick his brain um, about that. I would also, on a local level, actually, and we talked about a little while back um, about professors that have made a difference in in your life and and 
where you kind of want to go with things. And the one professor in my life that actually wasn't even in the department, uh, she was also a city councilor at one point. She ran for mayor as well. Dr. Rebecca Casper, she passed away. I think it was last year, unfortunately. Um, Phenomenal woman. She taught world religions at our school. And she was very eye-opening to basically things that were happening in the world around us. Like I said before, it wasn't really exposed to much uh, back in the demographic of my high school. And so to be able to sit down and and not for a grade, (laughs) uh, be able to pick her brain uh, about just the ideologies of religion and and to interview her in that sort of sense would have been phenomenal. Um, Of course, I miss her like crazy, which is is honestly something that is insane in my mind because I only had her for a semester. Um, but she made that much of an impact. And I actually, I know that she's also made an impact with what she's done here in Plattsburgh, uh, as a, as a public servant too. So, um, those are the two people I think that I would want to pick their brains. I'm sure there's many more, but those are the two that kind of come to mind right now. So it is, um, like your mentor, like who, who's been your mentor for journalism? Same guy, David Muir? It's been David Muir, but it's also on, on the local level. It's been uh, everybody that I've worked with through internships, through apprenticeships, through um, shadowings. Uh, you know, back in Syracuse, I was at WCNY for two years taking those courses. Any one of the people that worked at WCNY has helped out in any way, shape, or form um, in giving me pointers, tips, just conversations in the hallway, making me feel welcome at the station. Um, I did an internship, kind of an elongated internship at this News Channel 9, which is a sister station to Local 22 up here. Um, And anybody who worked there, I worked uh, as an intern for a morning show. And so I wasn't really in the newsroom that often. But even any time that I went into the newsroom, if I wanted to pick the brains of any of the reporters, any of the anchors, um, they were more than willing to sit down with me for like five or 10 minutes. And we would just shoot the breeze about what their life was like. And for me, that was another just great moment in my life, just because the two anchors that were there are the anchors that have been there since I was a, a kid. And I've been watching them on the local news since I was a kid. And here I am, I get to sit and pick their brains, you know, um, every day of my internship just to, just for fun, really. And so I think it was, it's, not, I think David Muir is definitely the one that I look to saying, oh, I love his story of success. But I think it's every little person, and not even little, that every person who has made a major impact in my life has been every other person at these internships, at these TV stations, at uh, whatever I've gone to to um, shadow or intern for that have really made this impact and, and have inspired me and helped me along the way. So... Um... With with what you're doing, like what what is your what's your goal with with journalism? I mean, is it some you want to, you know, be a broadcaster? Do you want to climb the ranks to be national broadcaster? Is this something that you're like? I I prefer. Uh, I take the uh, example, and I, I I knew I saw you did an interview with him, but Michael Cashman. Yeah, yeah. Mike's great and love the guy. And so Mike, I asked him. I said like Mike, you're obviously a local politician. Like, and he goes, I have no interest in being at the state level or the mm-hmm. national level. He goes because I like making a difference in the local community. Are you kind of like that with news, or are you like, hey, listen, I love the, the local story, but I would, I would, I want to be the anchor on. I want to be Lester Holt. Like, what do yeah. you want? It? So, and Michael Cashman's a great guy. Uh, yeah. He he's also he graduated actually from he was in our program originally and in the broadcasting program oh, a long okay. time ago. So that was really cool. And we talked about the the evergreen people and the people you can rely on a lot. He's one of those people for me. He's, he's great. Absolutely yeah. great. Anytime yeah. I need to ask something about the town of Plattsburgh, he's always there. So, um, so, and, and I can relate to him on that sense is, yes, I, I think right now I'm just taking it one day at a time. And honestly, the path that I'm on, I'm very happy where I am right now for where I am in my life. 
Uh, and I'm just going to take that journey wherever it takes me. I'm really, if in five or 10 years I end up being on the national level, that would be really cool. But right now I'm kind of focused on just where I am right now because I think that's all you can really do without making your brain feel like it's going to go overwhelmed. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, but I think that I can relate to Michael Cashman in the sense that I also agree. There's a certain sense of community building, uh, a certain sense of the the community using the media and the media being able to use the community and work together to spread awareness, to share people's stories um, on the local level. And I think you kind of, you, you, there's kind of a barrier that gets set up when you get to the national level on that. And yeah, you can go to larger market stations, but I think sticking in these l- local smaller market, uh, uh, for anybody who might be familiar, we're in the 96th market. Um, and so it's, it's not huge, but it's not small either. Um, but it's small enough that you can make these local connections and people will recognize who you are on TV. Uh, and you eventually start to recognize your viewers, which is really nice too. And I think that's the biggest difference. Um, I really love being in local news in a smaller market for that same reason that Michael Cashman likes to stay in a smaller government. Um, and I, I can agree with him on that. Uh, but who knows? Who knows where this journey will take yeah. me? No, and I think as long as you're open to just like taking it as it comes kind of thing. And again, yeah. at 20 years old, you have so much time in front of you. It's, yeah. it's insane. Because <laughs> um, again, I mean, just, just over a couple of years, you're going to be like, where was I at 20? Now I'm 23 yeah. and it's totally, it's a totally different world. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing now with um, alternative, I, I'm going to call it alternative journalism, maybe alternative media. Um, we both grew up. You know, I, I still remember the days prior to social media and prior to Facebook mm. and prior to Instagram and, and the stories weren't breaking as quick as they do now, meaning like you waited till the six o'clock or the 11 yep, o'clock yep. news and this was before they had the five and five thirty and six and all these different news times. Um, how has, how has the media, uh, not media, yeah, I guess media, how has like broadcast journalism, how have you guys transitioned from, because we talked about it before about maybe some journal and again real estate is a very old stuffy industry and mm-hmm. i think that we're slowly exposing it to having more fun and, and being a little more lighthearted and um laid back um how have you done that in, within your field and what do you think you know how's that changed maybe in the few years that you've been involved with it what do you hope or where do you see it going in the future um how have you guys adapted or anything new or anything that you're like hey we're still archaic in this thing and we got to move forward and I can see the vision of where this is going. So kind of just speak on that alternative media. Yeah, so I can I can really I so it's very interesting because there's multiple kind of things that go into this and starting with I can say something similar but kind of different for public media and my experience in public media as it is for the private sector that I'm in now. And so I think it's interesting because they're they both ha- are struggling with the same issues but are able to they have to go about it differently because one is funded differently than the other. So I think, and I can talk to my experience right now with the three years that I've been with the station and, um, or close to three years at this point, but, um, is that I think we are seeing less and less folks from my age group watching the news, which is okay. makes sense. Um, probably not the most interesting thing in the world for some people. Uh, but we're, we're seeing less and less uh, of my age group and even on the older scale of people who are watching the news, who, who grew up with, without the digital age of, of news, are also starting to watch it less and less with the um, 
streaming and Twitter and, and having Facebook. And why would you turn on the six o'clock news when you can open up Twitter and just see what's happening from around the world? Um, and so I think what we're trying to do is, you know, we'll try to live tweet. We'll try to go live on Instagram and on uh, Facebook so that it's more immediate local news. So it's not like you, like you said, waiting until the six o'clock news to turn that on and find out what's happening with the world. And it's a challenge and it's a challenge. It's a learning experience for all of us. And I don't think that uh, anything can remain the same now, if that makes any sense. So I don't think that we can really uh, look at it and say, okay, well now we're doing Instagram lives. That's the best we can do. I think it's going to be ever changing because you know what? I feel like with each of the social media outlets, because that's really where news is coming from for um, certain, a certain demographic age group. That's, that's much younger now. Um, is the popularity in each really spikes and dips all the time. And so is it, is everybody using Twitter now? Oh, suddenly we're back to using Facebook again. Oh, suddenly we're doing Snapchat altogether, you know? And so I don't think, I think now we can't just settle. We can't just settle for uh, uh, finding ways of just saying, okay, we're fine with just posting on Instagram and saying, here's breaking news. You know, here's a little video of one of our reporters out there. Um, And it's weird because I'm coming in at a time where I never really knew the industry pre-social media, pre-internet. Um, and so all I'm seeing is the progression that it's taken since this era of, of or this age of technology has taken over uh, what news is. Um, and this leads into so many different things too, just because, uh, you know, what our station has been doing is might be different from what another station is doing. And we're progressing at different levels with the different resources that we have. Um, so... I know at our station right now, we, we will buy into certain things and we'll test them out. Well, does this work? Does it work using live from a phone? Should we still go live from a camera and format it for phones? It's, you know, those are the conversations that I'm sure they're happening uh, in newsrooms or across the country right now. Um, and the truth is nobody knows. Nobody knows where it's going in the future. Um, and with more and more people cutting the cord, it's it's learning how to use these streaming services and how can we stream our station it's really, it's, it's quite interesting. And, and I can't speak to most of it because honestly, it's a lot of the people behind the scenes, a lot of broadcast engineers that are working hard to figure out, okay, so we're not doing this anymore. So, you know, it's been a week since we, we tried this, we'll do something different. And are we going to reach our viewers better that way? Do you think that you get lost in the noise sometimes with just the amount of stuff that's going on? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not just, not just news stations, but I'm just saying like, if hypothetically, do I watch the news and I, I enjoy local news. Yeah. As soon as it hits national news, I lose interest because one, I, I really don't care. And number two, it's 90% negativity in my eyes. And it's like, it gets draining when I'm just seeing like negative stuff or bad stuff or politics. I'm like, I don't care. But then when I turn on, you know, the local news station and they're like, Hey, here's a story about the, the ladies that do the quilts. Like, I love that stuff. Like I, I, I always said, I love Sunday morning, like the Sunday yeah. morning hour is like 90 minutes or two hours, something like that. And it's just this, all these like little 20 minute stories. And I love that stuff. And I love documentaries. Um, mm-hmm. But do you find, I don't like when I follow most of my stuff, I don't watch a lot of TV. I go on typically, I get most of my, I, I'm not really on Twitter. I use get most of my stuff on Instagram and even Facebook. I post, I really don't consume on Facebook. So you, if you posted stuff, cause I follow you, I follow the news station, mm-hmm. um, I follow, I think pretty much I follow you guys in WPTZ as like my local news. Yeah. But even seeing that stuff, it's going to get lost in the millions of different things that I might look at, whether it be friends, whether it be real estate, whether it be barstool sports, whether it be Mm -hmm. all these like 
fun things that I, I want to enjoy. And then in that is news. But mm-hmm. do you find that you're, that's a challenge for the newscast right now too? And, you know, I think you are, are set apart from the the average college student because I like to also pick some of my friends that are even people that I'm I've just met you consider me still a college student. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Make me feel young again. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think it's interesting that you say that you enjoy local news because I think that's what a lot of the college students typically tend to avoid because they're more familiar with your ABC outlet. They're more familiar with your Fox news and CNN. Uh, and they are trying to be more familiar with ha- what's happening on the national level because I think sometimes they could care less, which is really strange in my opinion. Um, about what's happening in their local community. And I think sometimes they get bored with it, if that makes any sense. Like, if there's no major crime happening around here, why mm. should they care? And so, and and here's the other thing, and we're talking about this in one of our college classes right now, is we are seeing more students that are completely uh, engaged with the news, but lacking understanding and and actually knowing what's happening. They, they see what's happening, but do they really know what's happening? And I think we're, we're living in a generation of people who just read the headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that goes for anybody. That, that's not just college students. But, um, yeah, I... Well, it's like that um, when I was in college, I loved reading the Cardinal Points. It yeah. came out once, I think it comes out on Fridays. And that was one of like the highlights of my week was I got the newspaper mm-hmm. and I read it between classes. And again, I'm, I'm talking... This is way back. I mean, I got Facebook in college, but I didn't really use it much in mm-hmm. college. And Instagram wasn't even invented. We had yeah, a few years yeah. out. So it's like, you know, that was, I'd read between classes. I'd pick a book and I'd read a book. I love reading, but I'd read a book and, um, or I'd grab the Cardinal Points. And it was, majority of it was local college or community news. And I love that stuff. And that's it, weird though. It, not, not I, that, I know. Not I, that. I was, I mean, people call me 80 years old too. No, so. no, I'm not calling you weird for reading the newspaper. And I'm saying, I, I think it's strange because... That's where there's a separate there's there's a separation and it's almost like looking at it in three different uh, categories. Your first category is hyper local to campus. Then you're looking at local and community news. So anything that surrounds the campus, then you're looking at national news. And yes, there's things in between their state and whatnot. But you know, if you're looking at it on a, a general basis, they love seeing what's happening on campus. You know, of course, everybody wants to know what's happening around them. Then it gets really fuzzy for local news. It's like mm, we don't really care as much. It doesn't really directly affect me, even though it might. Um, and then national news, because everybody these days really needs to know what's happening in and in, in across the country, which that's understandable. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that there's this. And, and like you said, what are we doing to try to reach that that kind of middle fuzzy area in local news? And it's hard. Um, I think the key now is becoming more conversational and less me talking at you for a 30 minute newscast. I think it's trying to almost make it sound like a podcast. But that's where you find some other difficulties because then we lose our, uh, a certain sense of professionalism uh, in the sense of people trust news that will come to them with straight hard facts that are delivered to them in somebody that's wearing a suit and tie or a dress or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if we start dressing down, we're going to lose an audience. So it's, it's trying to figure out, are we willing to risk losing a, an older generation of an audience that we know will actually tune in to our cable station mm-hmm. every night for our newscasts? to gain a new generation that will only stream us on their phones. And nobody knows, uh, the, the, nobody has the answer on how to go around that or go about that. And I think that's our biggest split. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. And I, again, I, I kind of uh, allude the, the, the example I want to use is 
I, I said them before, Barstool Sports. Mm-hmm. I follow it. A lot of people do, you know, a lot of 20s and 30s and even a little early 40s follow them. But um, I like sports. I grew up, played sports, all that. I don't know the last time I sat down and watched Sports Center. Yeah. So one, I don't have a lot of time to do it. Two, I, it, it's fine. It's highlights. I still would probably watch it. But I, I consume more of my news and stuff from podcasts and through online. And Barstool Sports has like taken hold of that whole industry and that whole. Um, so like most of my information comes either through listening in the yeah. car, why I'm working, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or it becomes on quick little two minute Instagram videos um, on my phone. And But their target market is, in theory, probably 15 to 20-year-old to 40-year-old dudes. That's like their thing. Like yeah. I fall directly in that category, yeah. and hook, line, and sinker, I'm, I'm hooked. But then I get it. Like You're talking, okay, well, we have the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old, 90-year-olds that still tune in. Mm-hmm. I would argue that probably anybody 50 and above is still in that category. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... And, and some younger, and I, I still enjoy some traditional media. Um, I, I, there's some stuff I think is, you know, knowing probably a little too much about marketing. There's things I don't like about certain, like in regards to advertising and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But um, I guess what I'm saying is like when you guys focus on all that, like when you say about level of professionalism, do you think that Barstool Sports is not what I would consider typical professionalism. I think the professionalism in the sense of, and I'm not comparing you to Barstool Sports, I'm just saying in general, like that style of like satire, news, comedy, you know, you could even argue like The Daily Show and you can argue that even though, you know, when uh, was it Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert, they go do their thing, they're still in suits and and they're still doing the news, but they're they're obviously, Mm -hmm. they're comics at heart and they kind of do that funny stuff. But do you find that, I I feel this way, but again, I'm a 30 year old guy like going into me getting news and stuff from someone like a barstool sports or even more of a news network offshoot of that versus yeah. me watching, you know, Lester Holt or George Stepanopoulos or any of these or Stepanop, whatever the Greek guy, yeah. you, know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yep. Like watching these people on today's show, like Savannah Guthrie, like I watch them. That's fine. They're like traditional news media. And then I yeah. turn around and I, 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 align not say align but i gravitate more towards the other people where if they're on my tv i'll still watch them because they're on tv but do you find that when you talk about professionalism do you think it would hurt like podcasts is not this compared to being on wiry from a local standpoint this is way less professional yeah yeah. i've been on wiry like like usually i'm like holding my tongue i swear like a sailor so like usually (laughs) this podcast we talk about anything and everything and i really don't care because it's free-flowing and The only person saying no to it would be myself. And if I put it out, then if you don't like it, just don't listen to it. But mm-hmm. I can still I can still put whatever I want out because it's the way it, it's the ease of access or a bar- bar- barrier to entry is easy. Um, that's a very long-winded way of just asking you, like, what's the level of professionalism? Do you think that divide is going to slowly merge a little bit? I found that it has in real estate. I don't know if it's because news reporters, bankers, attorneys, these comp- these people that are always been considered suit and tie and very, mm-hmm. you know, very professional. And there's nothing bad about it, but it's just no. you think that it will adapt or change or evolve. Yeah, so and I think the interesting part is that I think a lot of people want to. I think a lot of people want to move towards that way, but is it the the stations and the networks like I said before trying to gain the viewers and losing the viewers? Mm-hmm. Um and I think professionalism is definitely one aspect of it, but let's talk about credibility. Because unfortunately, there are people who would much rather get their headlines from uh, a company such as BuzzFeed, which is legally constituted as an entertainment outlet. Um, 
than they would have CNN or Fox News. Whereas somebody in BuzzFeed might be up there in a BuzzFeed t-shirt telling you what happened across the world today. Uh, same thing's happening with a very similar take, um, you know, a, a very similar short video, but it's somebody sitting behind a desk in a suit and tie. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things I think that, that go into that and wanting to move more you know, are more comfortable. But you know, the one outlet I've noticed that it seems to be working for is NBC. They have Gotti Schwartz. He's on uh, Snapchat, and Snapchat will give you, I think it's less than two minutes. Less than two minutes, you can tap right through their story, and it's Gotti Schwartz, who's one of their reporters, who actually has been a reporter with them for a while, um, uh, even before they started doing things through social media. And he'll sit up there and he'll give you the news in two minutes. Uh, and the best part about that is. Whenever something happens, you know, he could have just finished up a, his quick, like, two-minute newscast thing. Something happens, he just goes right back on, and he just gives you the update. There's pictures, there's video, there's sound, and it's colorful, and it, it draws the attention. And he's standing up there in, like, pretty casual, you know, casual shirt that you might wear to a nice dinner or something like that. Um, and I think that reaches people, but it's – they can do it because they're NBC. If it doesn't work out, they're, they just – they have a team of people that can go to the next drawing board. For local news, it's wondering – even if you are still giving the same stories and I'm standing up there in a t-shirt that says local 2244 news, will people believe that, or will people find us less credible? Even though we're still sending out the same information, it's all about the presentation. And even though that there might be a, a generation or, 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 or excuse me, our older demographic that is watching in for the six o'clock, maybe, you know, there's a chance a lot of those people still have the same technology. They're going to say, Oh, this is kind of new. This is kind of different. Let me tune in. They'll see me in a t-shirt. And they'll be like, mm, this is not what I'm used to. This is not what I liked. I'm not comfortable with that. It's interesting. It's, 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 people will, will kind of judge on the basis of, of how you present this stuff. And I think it makes a world of a difference. I don't know if I'm, I, if I've no, answered you're, that, but no, you're, I think you're spot on. Cause what I was going to say is I think you guys are, and this happened, this, I've been doing real estate for 10 years. I've seen a total shift. Yeah. And part of the shift is I think I'll, I'll be flat out honest. I think I'm one of a few you know, groups of people that are kind of changing the industry because we came up, we're kind of doing things a little different, a little rogue than what it's normally been doing. And then people are, but we're doing it in the sense that what we're doing is going to become kind of more common as we get, as we, you know, go along within the real estate space. Yeah. And some of the older agents are having to adapt a little bit and change. So what I think you guys are is you're, you're you're a little bit handcuffed because of the older demographic. Because again, new stations. This is fine. New stations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a business. You you have to run up. You know, like you said, what's our margins? What's our profitability? Yeah. And when you, what you said exactly was, hey, when we have the forty to eighty year olds that watch ninety percent of our market, that's the people you really. It's your bread and butter. That's the people yeah. that you have to attain to. And if they're used to suit and tie it's going to help you guys versus mm-hmm. you. Like if I walked on like this and did the news and be like, <laughs> I mean, I still, I don't dress in a suit and tie. I don't dress in a shirt and tie. There's mm-hmm. way, there's realtors that dress way nicer than I do. But I, I, again, I know my stuff. I have a proven track record. So I kind of go in, this is me though. This is my comfort level. Yeah, this is, so yeah. I go, but, and I think what's going to happen. And the reason I'm kind of picking you on this because yeah. or picking on you because of this <laughs> is because I see you as a, someone that's at 20 years old, you're probably going to do this for, 40 plus years. I just, I like, I can feel the mm-hmm. energy in you. And I think you're going to have, like, I don't think you're going to be someone that just retires at 50 and just like rides off in the sunset. I think you're always <laughs> going to be go, go, go is I think you're going to live through a huge change, but I think you're going to be someone that gets to remember 
the old ways of doing it, which is mm-hmm. our current, like today. And then I think for 30, 20, 30, 40 years from now, you're going to be doing things totally different. And you're going to say, hey, I remember when we had to go to sh- with a shirt and tie. And yeah, people didn't think yeah. it was credible without a shirt and tie. And you have to do this now. I'm not saying like tomorrow I'll no. run off in a tank top and do an, an interview. But I, but I think it's cool because I think you are going to have a great perspective. But I also think that you're going to be someone that could, if you choose to, be a change to the industry to kind of merge the young and that mm-hmm. old generational gap because you're going to reach both of them. Yeah, and I, and I think the other part to that is, okay, yes, the credibility with the older demographic, but I think the thing is the reason why NBC can do it and get away with it is, yes, they've completely targeted a younger audience with a reporter that's targeting a younger audience. They're also, they've got millions of dollars, mm-hmm. um, and so they can afford to do that. Can these local stations afford to lose those those viewers, those dedicated viewers that we've had for so long for something as simple as trying to just kind of adapt to the changes and the, adapt to what people are, or how people are really receiving their news these days. Um, and I think that's the point that I wanted to get in there as well, was mm-hmm. just, um, I think it's it's affordability. It's I don't think we, we as smaller news stations, could afford to do that. Even, even larger market local news stations probably couldn't afford to lose that viewership. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you're, you have a P&L, you're, yeah. you're a business. And I think that, and it's not a bad thing, it's just, it's the reality of the situation, but I think that things adapt and change. And um, I think that it's just, I think you'll have a cool perspective when mm-hmm. it, when and if the time comes. And I just remember in a 10 year gap that I've lived through so far, it's been a big shift. And I, I think when you look at it, I'm excited if you give me another 40 years, you know, yeah. and I look back at it like, oh my God, I can't believe where real estate was when I was 20. Yeah. And now when I'm 70, it's totally different. And I'm looking forward to it just because I like, I like the evolution of stuff. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not one that's like stuck in the past. Like I'm go, 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 learn, adapt, try new things. Like you stop 10 years ago, we were doing a podcast. I'm like, what is a podcast? Yeah. Now it's like, yeah. I love podcasts. Like mm-hmm. they're great. Um, no, I, I just want to hear your perspective. I think that's kind of like, I think you have a good, cool perspective. The other thing I want to ask, um, and then I kind of, I'll kind of end with some uh, more lighthearted stuff for you. But it's with because I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. I had uh, Bill McColgan on here. Um, I think you said you knew Bill, right? Yeah, from, from Mountain Lake. Yeah, yeah. So Bill's a, a great guy, and um, I kind of asked him this, and he was, you know, he was very, a very good person to ask because he's been in the industry for a while, and, and in today's day and age with the buzzwords like fake news and in the buzzwords with like people losing credibility with news stations. Cause I'll be honest, I'm, I'm the first one to say if I go on and I find, especially when it comes to a political thing, I'm not a very political person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have viewpoints like everybody else, but I'm a very moderate person. I think if I go on and see CNN, you know, leaning one way and then Fox leading the other way. And then I go on national news stations and you, it seems like there's story reporting, but it seems like there's a lot of opinion following. Like here's the story followed quickly by here's our take. Like, and Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm, I'm, I'm very dumb when it comes to journalism, meaning I don't know, you know, is, is that the right thing to do? You tell a story and then put a little bit of opinionated opinion on it. Or is it more of, Hey, here's the story. You formulate your opinion. Cause I get it when you have a, if you have a show, you bring, a, a conservative and a liberal guy on and they're going to sit there and you know go back and forth well they're going on to have some type of yeah, back and forth yeah. but if you're sitting there and i just because i my newscasters is is very limited like lester holt comes on the national news and sits there and tells a story i think lester is pretty good about not putting a spin on a story he's he's yeah. almost just reading like here's here's the facts yeah but i do find that you'll have these segments that it cuts to a reporter but it seems like they're going for a certain angle. And this happens now, again, I'm a very layman's term kind of viewer, (laughs) but do you find, 
one, do you find that you've seen that? Number two is what do you think is the true, do you think that happens in the industry or do you think that's just something that people have been swayed or think in their minds? Do you think that actually happens? I'm not saying you do this at all, but I'm saying like, and then what is the idea of trying to get over that hurdle to maybe yeah. win, make a win in journalism to make sure that it's not looked at as some people are 100% reliable on it. Some people are skeptical of it. Some people are like, hey, the media and the national, or the, the media's, you know, changing opinions and trying to sway people and do all this stuff. And, yeah. and, and there's definitely some of that for sure, a lot of it. But what do you find being in the industry and knowing again, at a local level, how hard you guys work and how much hours you put in. I, I doubt you're going in to try to sway people. I doubt. I think you're going in, like you said, to tell the story. So I just kind of want to hear your take as someone that's, you know, I mean, you know your stuff. You're in the industry. Yeah. Like, what do you feel on that? Do you think it's valid? Do you think it's it's something that is true, but you don't really experience it on the local level? Um, I'm just kind of curious on that. Like, yeah. So, and and what you brought up that that whole idea of of fake news and and non reliable news, maybe non factual news or pers- or suaded news, you know, biased news, news bias. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's good. So, that's the the a direct issue with what is actually honestly turning many Americans to just completely turn off news altogether and become less informed, and that's where it gets a little dangerous. In my personal experience. Local news stations are not the ones that are out there to get the opinions, to tell their opinions, to analyze what's happening. That's not our job. Um, you're going to see that a little bit more like on the Fox and the CNN, the ABC. They're going to do the split screen between 15 different analysts that are going to talk about the same issue. And, uh, you know, what's what's this take on it? What's that take on it? Um, when you get to local news, I like to honestly say local news is the media version of a bulletin board for that town or city. We're there. If something happens, we're going to be there on scene. We're going to let you know what's happening and what's being done about it. If there's an event coming up, we're at that event. We're going to talk about that event. We're going to meet with event coordinators. If a political issue were to arise and or and do arise, it's a normal thing. Um, we as local news reporters are there and we're trying our best to make sure that we're going to get both sides of the story, whether that's conservative and liberal or whether that's independent versus liberal, you know, so on and so forth. We're, we're there to get all sides of the story uh, from any political party. And I think the hardest part is that it's all how people perceive it. They will never know the full story and they'll never know the full extent of how hard these local news journalists actually go out and and try to get the least biased news story that they can. What makes it hard is when you have a story about an issue where you're talking about Democrats and Republicans and you have a representative from the Republican Party that shows up and says, hey, I can do the interview, and the one from the Democratic Party can't. Um, and that could also be interchanged, you know, from either side. And I think the unfortunate part about that is you end up with people who view it and they'll say, Oh, well, why didn't you, why, why did you only get the Republican? Why did you only get the Democrat on your, on your uh, story? And the reason being is they couldn't make it for one reason or another, or they weren't available or they didn't want to comment or so on and so forth. So you're left with this one side story and you're left working very, very hard to still make it sound unbiased, even though your only person that you could get the interview with was one from either party. Um, and so, this idea that that there is there's fake news that there's this idea that there is um you know news bias yes it happens and honestly sometimes it does happen on a local level whether it's intentional or not um oh excuse me <laughs> i know that that thing's been flying around, it's like oh. a little bug flying around. i've already done a couple times You're okay <laughs> yeah um 
And so it, it comes down to, and it, this is a this is a packed question. I mean, we have classes on this. Um, yeah. It's called media literacy, uh, and I've actually worked with a professor at the uh, Mizzou. Uh, her name's Julie Smith, and she's a an educator who works on this issue. And her and I actually got together, and we created a national media or. It wasn't national, but it was a media literacy conference for students in Syracuse. She was our guest speaker. She came in. We had about 20 high schools come in. Her and I organized it together. It was phenomenal. Um, but she really kind of is is somebody who, who does this for her job, and she analyzes how people look at, at news media. And I think the scariest part is that it's becoming... It's becoming harder. Like you said, you would rather watch like a quick two-minute video, get your news over really quick because you just don't have time, and that's okay. That's uh, every, there's everyday Americans very busy, uh, and but you also want to stay informed. And the problem with that is you could listen to a two-minute clip that just gave you completely false information, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's from a local news source or a national news source, and it's it gets difficult. Honestly, I <laughs> no. It, it, um, well, I just want like I think. I, I think the net, the local news media is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I think I think everything you guys do is great because I think there's so many good stories. There's a reason I do the podcast. Yeah. I get local people on here. Every single interview I've ever done on this, every, yeah, every single interview I've ever done on this has been in house. Like every yeah. person has come here, and I've had I, I didn't do any over COVID. I didn't want to do anything with split screen. I could have. Yeah. But I'm like, eh, no, I'd rather have a conversation face to face with somebody because I just think it's it's better. It's it's not as distracting. Yeah. It's, and um. But it's to tell the story of different people and, and people I find interesting and people I think they have something to share. And um, I think you guys do that. And that, yeah, that's exactly our job. And yeah. I think that, um, like you said, it, we're there to tell the stories. And I think the really, honestly, any local news station will be that outlet to share with you the least biased news that you will ever see. Mm-hmm. And that's And it's overlooked and it's overshadowed because... Uh, uh, certain people, certain influencers uh, on this country believe that when they talk about the media, they mean every media outlet, which is not true. No. Unfortunately, it, it's just kind of geared towards the national well, outlets. Well, think about when you talk, we just talked about politics. Like mm-hmm. politics is a very, um, uh, you know, black, white, it's red, blue, whatever you want to call it. There's two sides. And I find like the national media, you have that. But because national media has got to tell a story to 300 million people you guys coming in same thing mike local politics is pretty pretty simple i mean i to be honest um i remember i voted i mean the local politicians i don't even know who's what party when you vote like (laughs) you know it just sounds crazy but it's not like they're going around i mean some of them have them on the signs but you're not actively going and doing that stuff so like are really caring like when you talk about the the national politics you know who they are because it's on their name like you know rd so like when you got someone like mike you know i know personally or billy jones who i know personally those guys are good dudes and like i think they're doing a great job and i don't care what they could be they could be the Lake Champlain party, whatever they want to, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe Mike will come up with that. It'd be run as that party. Um, at around that coast, but like I, they do so much good stuff, but it's, I think at the local level, we're so tight knit and we know he knows the issues firsthand and we don't care about Florida or Texas or California mm-hmm. or Montana because it doesn't affect us here because all yeah. we need is, so the stories are the same. You guys, your, your, your reach is, what a hundred miles, maybe roughly, maybe fifty miles, something like that, and that's it. Like this is our diameter of what we have to, or radius of where we have to be, and this is the people that we need to interview and and talk to and and project everything out. So I think you guys do a great job. I just didn't know, like, from a national perspective and how you felt as 
being a journal, you know, in journalism school, well, I guess journalism school, right? Yeah. School I mean, for you could journalism. Call that, yeah. And, um, and then also being like on the front lines, actually doing it and then mm-hmm. being in school, which I think is incredible. And I love, I love what you're doing for that. Um, but yeah, I was just curious. Cause like I said, I didn't know if there was any diminishing that you found within the, the industry or do you find that that's really, Hey, that's really the buzz national buzz story of like, you know, the big names and the big companies with millions. And I think it's the same as politics. Like, National politics is way worse than local politics for mm-hmm. the most part. You know, most part, it, things are pretty civil at the local government level. So I don't know. I mean, that sounds. Yeah, no, that, that right. sounds about right. Um, yeah, it's and it's. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with yeah, you. Fine. I, I, yeah. Like I said, I didn't, no, not, not to be. Uh, um, this is a pretty usually laid back podcast. I just wanted to hear your take being a newscaster, especially being someone that's younger, because I asked Bill the same thing. And Bill had a good perspective for, you know, being in the industry, mm-hmm. probably you know, 25, 30 years, and then you just starting, I kind of want to hear your perspective because you do bridge the gap pretty good from, you know, this new age of kids coming up and then also now being in a pro- very professional setting. So I think it's, it's neat. Um, so some, some questions I want to kind of finish up with for you. Yeah. You did a home studio at your house, right? <laughs> yeah. Now the reason <laughs> yeah. I say this, cause I think that's when you interviewed Mike and I saw it and that was kind of the one time where it kind of clicked. I'm like, wait, like, who is this guy? Like I've seen him and now he's interviewing Mike Cashman. Like what's going on here? From my basement. Um, So the one thing is like, tell us about that. Cause that, what I love about that is it's COVID you're sent home. You're done. You can't do anything. You're like, go back and go back home, chill, stay home. And you're like, no, I'm still going to report the news. Yeah. So, um, like I said before, I report the, the evening broadcasts on campus and when COVID-19 sent us all home, I was like, all right. So at that point, you know, because, teachers and professors were just lost at that point. So we had a little bit less, I'll, I'll admit it. I'll be, I'll be transparent. We had a little bit less work to do then, mm-hmm. um, uh, than there was before. So I was a little bored and you know, it's COVID-19. So basically at this point, very early on, everything is shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say, yeah, this was around March. Um, it was early. Yeah, yeah. It was around St. Patrick's day actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, I've kind of, like I said before, it's always been a hobby. It's always been kind of a fun little thing of mine to just kind of film random things and interview random people just for fun. They never really went anywhere. I never had a platform for it, Uh, but I have the equipment. So I set it up in my basement. I had a little TV screen on a, like a little moving like thingy on an arm that was attached to the wall. Um, The desk I made out of a coffee table that I set up on two chairs facing inward. I love it. um, And sat on a kitchen stool. I made a uh, teleprompter underneath a little camcorder with my computer wirelessly connected to a mouse uh, and just threw it right underneath the, the camera, essentially. And then I wrote scripts. And I maintained doing anything that was happening on campus in Plattsburgh. And I, I was four four hours away in Syracuse. Which is wild to me. I mean, it's just, it's cool because the technology's there. But yeah. the, again, and I will say this probably a couple more times before this is done. It, like the initiative you take as a 20 year old, I think is incredible. And that's, that's why I was like, listen, this, this guy knows what he's doing. Like he's, and, and, or uh, it's learning, but you're, you're, you're doing the right steps. You're being proactive and you're, you're really trying to, you're really trying to learn the industry and get better at it. And I, you can see it. I mean, like someone, like most kids checked out, they went and played video games all, and you're <laughs> sitting there setting up a home studio to keep doing your work and yep. keep getting better. And I think that's incredible. Um, so who, who'd you, like, how long did that go for? How many interviews did you do? Who'd you do it with? Yeah, I did a, I did a couple interviews. I actually, I did one with Assemblyman Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did one with town supervisor, Michael Cashman. Um, uh, let's see here. 
I did a, a couple with some students. Uh, so I, I want to say there was like at least three or four. I think there were three or four episodes. It was towards the end of the semester anyway, so we were kind of winding down. But I want to continue as far as we would have if uh, if COVID had not hit. Um, and, you know, like I said, there were local politicians. Then I had a student who uh, unfortunately got stuck up here. Her parents didn't have a car. She was from New York City. Um, the Greyhound and Amtrak both shut down. And so she was literally stuck here uh, for a very, very, very long time. So I, she was kind of like my, my seeing eyes up there as to what the, what it was like for students like her, what it was like for international students. Um, and so I'd have her on and and ask her about that. And like I said, uh, the the video chat was just a, a perfect thing to bring into it. Um, and honestly, put a very modern twist that we really needed to incorporate to our our show that we have now. I thought it, was, it looked phenomenal for like you said a little almost like a little school project you kind of did down there and it was it was pretty cool like when you saw the setup I was like is this in his basement like this, <laughs> yeah, this is dope <laughs> um, no he did a phenomenal job um, so um, actually I'm going to end with those two so um, we talked about um, Adirondack Young Professionals you said you you well intend intend to or have joined and obviously it's kind of a limited thing right now with mm-hmm. in, in person being limited. Um, my question that I ask every single person that has interest, I've had interns that work here, I've had different things. Like, obviously, you've lived in Plattsburgh. You, you, you I think, would have more connection to Plattsburgh than most college kids would. Mm-hmm. But if if you had to pick, and this, I'm not like, I'm not like holding your feet to the fire on this <laughs> one, but just saying, if you had to pick, like, would Plattsburgh be a place that you would say, hey, I think I could live here? Yeah, I think that what's happening with Plattsburgh, uh, we're seeing. Uh, not not essentially newer businesses, but businesses uh, adapting to the newer generations coming in. Um, I'll, I'll plug Chapter One Coffee and Tea, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Rosenquist and and uh, Tracy over there. So they have this this cafe that's kind of this new concept to to the Plattsburgh area. This idea that they're in this community space that can be used, um, and I think that those are the things that we need to start. Uh, uh, bringing more to Plattsburgh. And I think with those up and coming, it could be, you know, it could be a really great place to live. I think in the next three or four years, we'll probably see more things like that restaurant wise, community wise. Um, I always look at it and you wonder, you know, you look at a city like Burlington, that's like right across the lake and you're like, okay, so they're a major tourist city. Uh, obviously they've got a lot going for them over there. Not to, and not to say that Plattsburgh doesn't, a lot of people overlook Plattsburgh. Um, unfortunately it is a beautiful city that's located also on Lake Champlain. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got that direct port during non-COVID times, uh, right up to straight up to Montreal, uh, into the province of Quebec. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are the gateway to the Adirondack mountains. Um, and so th- it's this perfect location of you get to do so much stuff, uh, right, right from having your home base right here in New York. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that I would, I would definitely choose to live in Plattsburgh, um, if I had the option to. And I think, with the progression of more of these businesses and more of these ideas coming into um, appealing to the younger, younger group uh, that are probably coming in to settle or even just the college students that are coming to visit for each semester um, will make it even that much better. Yeah. And, and, and the reason I'm asking is because ADKYP we've done a, um, their mission statement is to attract and retain young professionals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's kind of something that I've been, you know, really brought more to the forefront for me in the last few years is like, Hey, listen, like we just talked about at the very beginning of this. It's like the amount of people, the amount of kids that go to Plattsburgh state that are from all over the world mm-hmm. and they come here and they said, if you're trying to attract young professionals, 
you can't find a better spot than the campus. And, no. but then I look at it and there's a, there's not just, this is, this is something that I'm very, and I think at some point in time I'll, I'll put more effort and time into yeah. is how do we bridge the gap between college students, you to the community. You obviously are doing it because of the, you know, your profession or, you know, your, your major in profession. And, but a lot of kids don't, they live on campus. They go, yeah. they do stuff on campus. They walk downtown, they go do their thing. They maybe get a ride to Walmart, get some food, go to the mall. Yeah. Go to the mall. And then it's like, okay, then I'm going to go back home and I'm going to graduate, take my mm-hmm. degree, go back to Long Island, go back to Boston, go back yeah. to Albany, Rochester, Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. So I, my thing, like, what do you think would be a, a way to bridge that gap? And I'll be honest, this I think this is a very deeply rooted thing. And honestly, it, it might be controversial. It might be a little, you know, this might be uncomfortable for a lot of people to hear. But the main thing, like we talked about, uh, SUNY Plattsburgh prides itself in diversity. And then we look at the greater community. And this isn't talking about everybody. It's talking about a select few of individuals who may have made some of the people who have come to a predominantly white area feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, you know, there, there are certain flags that are being flown. Um, there are certain symbols that are, are out front of people's homes that I think are really big turnoffs to people being like, well, it's, it might look like a great place, but there are definitely some deeply rooted, uh, you know, there's some deeply rooted hate that's still in the community. I think that what we need to do is have the people who live here that really care. There's people like you. I've met many different community members who really care deeply about this community and would never want to see anything like that happen. Um, and so they, they work to create these safe spaces, these safe organizations that uh, for, for anybody in the community. And I think that as those organizations get larger, hopefully it will start overshadowing or overpowering some of the hate that still exists. Um, and I think for a lot that would be uncomfortable for people to hear, but as an outsider who, who came from the outside, who has also been here for three years, it's something that I've been witness to, uh, and something that's been open to my eyes, uh, sitting here as a white male. Um, you know, so it's just, it's one of those things that I think that is one of the steps in, in a, you know, a multi-step process, a couple year process, you know, a couple of years process to, to help these people come and settle and feel comfortable. Well, it could well, be generational here. too. Generational. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, it could be more than a couple of years and no, I think, I think you're right. It's just, it's always stuff that I always really check on because again, I grew up here. I love the area, but it's like, you have so many good people that come to the, like there's, I mean, again, I've had people have interns. I've, I've talked to kids. I've been at events there and yeah. there's some smart kids there and smart, like I yeah. young professionals. I mean, there's some smart people that are, are being directly they're dropped into our community and it's almost like they're dropped in and we're trying to grab them they slip through our fingers and they yep. just go back home and it's like well how how do we get like a better a better way of ma- making them want to stay here and that's and that's yeah. a good perspective and i just it's just me like gathering intel for the future because i yeah, really do yeah. um there's a few things that when you always talk about doing stuff and and because one of the things I, I will kind of let you end on this but like it's like, why, why you, do you do anything? And, and, you know, at 20 years old, why did I get into real estate? Mm-hmm. More, more, I'll tell you, I had two reasons. <laughs> B- better better um, way for me to manage my schedule. Mm-hmm. And I was going to make a little bit more money than I was where I was at before. Nothing very virtuous about it. It was just simply very selfish. It was just that I was just looking out for myself. Yeah. And then over time it went from okay well how do i become the best agent in the area that's mm-hmm. my goal be number one be the top agent but then along the way and i'm like plugging at that goal and then about halfway through i'm like well i 
I think I'm pretty confident I could probably hit that goal and in the time frame that I want to hit it. So then I'm like, well, that's very still me centric. So then I'm like, how do I get where I can have an impact on more people? Mm-hmm. So then it was like, okay, we're going to grow our office. I'm going to put in structures. I'm going to put in things in place where we can replicate other people that like real estate to show them how to do it correctly and show them how to actually grow yeah. and get compensated for that to have a good living. And then yeah. I look at, okay, that is still an office setting. Now that might affect eventually, hopefully maybe 20, 30 plus people. But then I look at it, okay, well, how do I, can I affect the greater Plattsburgh area or greater, yeah. you know, North country? So then I look at different things like that, like Adirondack Young Professionals, because I'm a young professional, how do I take, you know, that group and attract those young professionals and retain those young professionals to our area. Mm-hmm. And then that's something cause that's going to build our, so there's things that I'm always thinking about down the road. Yeah. So that's why I'm just kind of saying I'm gathering some Intel. So my last couple of questions for you, because I know we're getting close to the end of our, our uh, time here is two things. What is your goal when you interview? Like, I want to know, like, what is when I, when I got into real estate, I was thinking transactional, I get a house guy, guy or gal buys a house great but now i look at it as my goal when i go into any meeting is find out why that person's buying a home or selling a home what is their goal with it and then what is their what are their hurdles that they have to overcome and then i look at taking all of that knowing my knowledge and, and skill set knowing that i can help them with that problem mm-hmm. so i go in more from not trying to make a sale and make a commission my idea going in is to how can i help somebody yeah and that is my why when i go into any meeting and yeah I, that is, purely that is it i'm like i'm going in to fix this problem yeah what is your goal when you do an interview and and we'll tie it into that and then why what is your why like why do you want to be a newscaster why do yeah. you want to be or or journalist or why do you want to do this so i think that that the most simple answer for that is to be able to, to, my goal is to be able to share somebody's story. Uh, and I think we touched upon this earlier in the, in the podcast, but, um, my goal is to be able to share somebody's story and have people, uh, have a reaction, uh, whether that is a call to action, whether that is, Oh, I, you know, maybe I, I feel comfortable of sharing my story now, whatever that may be. Um, and I look at each interview as a story, tell your story to me. I know you know, when I get back to the studio, I'm going to have to whittle that down to a minute and 30 seconds, which I always hate doing it's because tough. I, it's so hard to find some of the best parts, you know, and, and some of the best parts of the interview are just the longest and you just can never, oh, it's so hard to do. And I know you probably editing this podcast, it's so hard to just get things mm-hmm. down to a certain amount of time and it's just, oh, but that's my, my, my full goal every time is to be able to tell somebody's story. And the reason why I like doing that and the reason why I, I wanted to go into journalism, number one, it was hands-on. That's that's what kind of attracted me as the young me, the young the younger student me. Uh, and now when I look at journalism, it is that storytelling aspect that I really enjoy is that, yeah, okay, it's cool. You get to be on TV. You get to ri- drive around the news car. You get to have all this cool equipment. But the best part about it is meeting the people. And that's why I was saying it was hard to find somebody when you asked me one of my favorite interviews. They've all been so cool in their own way. Um, and that's not really counting the press conferences. Those are just, those are, those are those required. Are actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are just like, eh. But, um, you know, being able to 
share that story about the quilt, being able to talk to uh, local businesses. Are they doing well? Are they struggling during the pandemic? If, if they are struggling, what can people's call to action be? What is their story? What is their reaction? Uh, what should it be? Are they going to be sad when it closes? Are they going to do their best to keep that business open? You know, it's, it's a lot of that. Um, it's being able to help people uh, in a different sense, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. I just used that word like 15 times, but, um, it's the people who are the doctors and nurses and EMTs, uh, firefighters, you know, uh, police officers, they, they have help in their, you know, in their job description. They're there to help people. We are also there to help people in a very different way. And we're using our talents, our media talents in a very different way to help people. Um, and it's, it's helping them for better or for worse. And that's, that's what I love about it. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And and um, like I said, just to kind of wrap up, I think you're someone, at least with the, the energy and the passion that you're bringing, I don't think this is just like a stepping stone for you. I really think wherever you go, um, just hearing how well-spoken you are and how driven you are through the stuff you're doing, I, I'm looking forward to hopefully following your career, you know, wherever that may take you. Hopefully it's here in Plattsburgh, but obviously, you know, realistically knowing that with the turnover and, and, and probably with the opportunities you're going to open and doors you're going to open for yourself that it could lead you anywhere. Um, so I just think you're doing some awesome work and I'm glad you, you know, could come on the podcast. And I, I think people like you going on and spreading the message of exactly your why of this area, I think is so incredible, um, going forward because we need it. We need, mm-hmm. like you said, we need the, um, the stories. We need people's voices to be heard. We need, you know, we need people to see, like again the good that's out there or the or even if it's bad but like what's the opportunity to change it and what's you know where is there a a moment that we could take maybe a negative and flip it and turn it into a positive or at least a learning experience so um but yeah i i thank you for coming on yeah it was excellent yeah thank you so much for having me this was amazing now if anybody wants to follow you anybody wants to check out your work where can they reach you find you message you um they have they have stories they want to bring to your attention. Like what- Yeah, of course. So number one, you can always go to our, our uh, TV station's website, and that's myshamplainvalley.com. That's the local 22 and 44 website. Um, and you can find the phone number on there to call our newsroom. Uh, for general tips, if anybody wanted to reach out to me, I do have an Instagram um, for, for my news, which is Alex underscore L underscore on underscore air, because Alex L on air was taken already. So of course, you know, I had to to switch and conform to what Instagram wanted me to. But uh, I think my Twitter is just Alex Ladstetter um, or at Alex Ladstetter. And my Facebook is also just Alex Ladstetter. And you can like that there for my journalism page. So, so we'll add those to the show notes too. So people, okay. if they want, if they wanted to actually <laughs> go find you on that. Um, so th- I think that's it. But I, again, I thank you for coming on um, and continued success in all that you do. And uh, good luck with graduating because you're, you're close, right? Yeah, is it we'll December go, or May? Uh, I've May, so I've got one semester left. Okay, you're yeah. doing yeah, you're doing well. You're, Almost stick there. it out. You'll be there. So <laughs> Almost there. Well, that is uh, episode eighty nine with Alex Ladstatter. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling G A E L A N T R O M B L E Y.